Hi, I'm Matt, and you are listening to Real Things That Really Matter. Our heart in this show is to open up the floor to conversation about topics in the Bible and Christianity that may be hard to understand, and to see them from different perspectives. I know that we don't always agree on some things, but we feel that we should be able to ask questions and listen to each other as we walk through this life following Jesus. So sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy as we venture into another conversation on real things that really matter. Hi, Mike. Hey, Matt. How you doing, buddy? Doing good. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, always. We're back again, and I think we have a plan for a direction on the next few episodes. Yes, we do. So, listeners, welcome back uh, to the Mike and Matt Real Things That Really Matter podcast. We've been discussing where to go and kind of what to dive into, and it's been laid on my heart that I think one of the most famous sermons ever spoke would be a good place to start. And I mean the Sermon on the Mount. That's correct. It is probably the most famous sermon ever delivered, and he did it without a PowerPoint. Without a pro presenter, without slides, no lights, no <laughs> right, nothing. Right. He didn't even have a microphone. Yep, just sat down on a hill. Yeah. So a lot of the things that are said, people quote. Uh, it's written on walls. It's like those things you get on the plate. The Lord's Prayer comes out of this. But I don't know, you know, as I was reading and doing some research, one of the biggest things that we miss as a culture is that this isn't necessarily just meant, actually, it wasn't presented as something that you would read at all. It was meant to be memorized, to be digested, to be meditated upon, to be spoken to with your fellow uh, human beings, and to really dive into what is said in this sermon. And so I I know I don't have this whole thing memorized. I have some of the Beatitudes memorized. (laughs) I don't have it memorized. I'm familiar with it, but I don't have it memorized now, sir. But having that mindset of um, really diving into it changes kind of how I think we read it and the importance of just asking questions. What does he mean when he says some of these things? What does it really Uh, What does it really mean for me today? And that's what we're going to try to do. The Sermon on the Mount goes from Matthew chapter 5 to the end of Matthew chapter 7. And so it's a little bit extensive, but meant to be one whole sermon. We're not going to read the whole thing to you today. We're going to try and break it up into points. So I guess we would start just by reading the first part. And that is the Beatitudes. So, what version are you reading out of? Matt? This is a New Living Translation. New Living Translation, which is sim- why is easy for my simple brain to understand. I like different translations. It yeah. helps me to see it from all sides. Well, go so, ahead, Matt. Here we go. Chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them the Beatitudes. God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. 
God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. I didn't have any slides for that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, we're not that fancy. So I guess the first thing that comes to mind uh, here is a, one day when he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down. Yeah. So when, when the Lord of Heaven's armies goes someplace and sits down, he's got some things to say. Well, and it's also symbolic he was a teacher and rabbi, and when the rabbis taught, they would sit. And so he's bringing these people, these potential followers, these uh, people who are hungry for his, his teachings, his, his authority— uh, he sits down and opens his mouth. My, and the ESV says, and as he sat down, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying all the things that you just said. And so he's really just trying to portray a vision of the kingdom of God here on earth, which is upside down from what the world says is normal. I mean... Who wants to be, my, you know, yours says blessed are the hum or those who are humble or blessed. Blessed are the meek is what ESV says. Blessed are the meek. How many of us like to be called meek? Yeah, he's a meek USV fight, uh, USC fighter. You don't hear that word much. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't hear that at all. Um, and so what is he actually saying? How do I apply this? Because you brought up a point as we were speaking, like, well, if I meet, people are going to be, I'm a doormat. I'm going to be stepped on and kicked around and told what to do. But the, the, the thing that I always use as a filter is how did Jesus do this? Because this was what he, he didn't just teach this. He lived this. And I never once saw Jesus be a doormat. Well, no. And, you know, some people say, well, when he was sitting there and he was getting beaten up for, being for doing nothing wrong and they were they were slapping him and everything else and he just laid there and took it people might say well he was being a doormat then i've never seen anybody be able to take torture without fight trying to fight back or get away right at least get away yeah and, and he even, didn't do any of that yeah so he's not a coward because he didn't run no he's not uh He's, he, he didn't fight back. He didn't call them names. He didn't curse them, even though he could have. Uh, I would say that's the opposite of, of a doormat. Well, and he also had uh, an objective at the, at the end. He needed, he needed to go through what he went through for us. Right, and we know that now, and he knew that. But even so, I don't know. That takes, that takes a lot more than what I have in me, even knowing that that's going to save the world, I'm pretty sure I don't have that in me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I couldn't do it either. <laughs> I'm glad I'm, that's, <laughs> glad it's not on my shoulders. We never have to find out. Okay. <laughs> so 
what is it? What is it really saying? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, what does yours say? Blessed are the poor? Yeah, well, it does say, but it also has an asterisk down there that says Greek poor in spirit. So okay. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. So poor in spirit makes more sense to me. Yeah, well, and and I think some of that, when we look at the messages and the parables that Jesus uh, told us in further down the Gospels, you know, the rich man who came to him and, and said, hey, I want to follow you. Uh, I've kept all of the law. I I am kind to people. I, I I want to do what's right, and I want to follow you. And Jesus said... Oh, he said he never broke the Ten Commandments. He said he never broke the Ten Commandments, yeah. And, and he followed the law to the letter, and Jesus said, go and sell all that you own, because all that he owned meant more to him than God. Yeah, he didn't like that answer. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily just because he was rich. Like, we get this sometimes that... Well, you just need to be living on the street in order to actually please God. No faith pleases God. No, that's what that guy needed. That's that, what that man, yeah, exactly, right. he needed. And so the poor in spirit is, this is a heart thing. And all of this, and I'm going to kind of preemptively say this about the entire sermon, all of this is about your heart. All of it deals with the intentions and the thoughts of us. And as we go further down that, you'll see when he starts to say, um, you've heard it said this, but if you're thinking this and, and acting on this, well, then you've actually done it physically. Like you might as well just do it because you're thinking it so deeply that it's affecting your life. He's dealing with the heart of us. So blessed are the poor in spirit. I realize that without God, I am bankrupt and I, I don't have what I need to live the way he wants me to live, to live a life that is actually life, to be able to get out of the pit of sin and despair. And I don't have it. I need him. And so I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out for the one who can make me rich. Right. And well, and I guess I could see it from a, a cynical person's point of view where they would say, well, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. That's hard to say to someone who's grieving the loss of a husband or a child or something like that. It's like, when does that comfort come? Right. Does that comfort come in this life or the next? Well, and it's like, they're looking for something right now. Right. And again, I think some of that is our own culture. I just want to fix your mourning. I want to fix how you feel and I can't. What is comfort? Is comfort getting back everything that I think I lost or that I did lose? Or is comfort knowing that I rest in the hands of one who is sovereign and will carry me through? Yeah, I mean, that's, these words seem kind of hollow to someone dealing with the great loss of a loved one. So, And, and yeah, I agree. And so that piggybacks on relationship, which is a whole other topic. Words alone aren't enough. And so Jesus, take all of this into consideration as we read this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus didn't just speak to his disciples. He lived with them. He walked with them. He knew who they were. I bet you he could tell you they're, you know, Peter, he's, he's kind of sarcastic and he's got a big mouth. But man, is he passionate. He totally will, is, very much he so. He will go to the ends of the earth to to follow his, his passion. 
And and Simon, oh, he's so just just honest. And he's so hungry to find God. And he could tell you everything about his friends. And so it was more than just words. It was also a relationship and a walking this out with them. And so, yeah, we think that, well, I can just say these words to you and you should be better. Uh, they help. They're truth. They're part of the scripture and the Bible and the message that Jesus brought. But he also says, go out and make disciples. Go out and do what you've seen me do. Go out and love people. And that's where comfort comes from. That's where you can say things into people's lives that mean more than just an empty, you know, writing on a plate or whatever. It's about relationship and it's about your heart. Yeah. And, you know, sharing your grief with others is a, is a, is a way to comfort. Yeah. I mean, be emotionally honest with someone else. Just sitting in the pain. Yep. Sit in the pain with someone else for sure. When was the last time that you sat with somebody in their pain? Well, I have a nine-year-old daughter, so I do it often <laughs> over things that you would think that aren't a big deal, but sometimes they are to a nine-year-old. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I sit I sit quite a bit. But, uh, you know, as a, as a pastor, I, I do funerals, and I sit with people who have just recently lost somebody that is intimately close to them, a husband, a father, a brother, a, a child— and I'm a pastor. I have all these words. And you know how often I say them? How often? Hardly ever. Do you know why? Because they don't need that in that moment. Right. They need me to sit with them. Yeah. They need me to listen or cry or maybe pray. Let's go to God. Let's ask him for these things. And I'm just a guy that's on the outside. That's what they need from those that are closest to them. Jesus knows that. Right. He's not saying I'm going to give you this to go into the hardest of situations and just and just speak these words and hope it's all fixed. This is a lifestyle. Okay. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. And I think that's where and see this is where why we should tear this apart. Well, and, you know, sitting in that moment with someone who's who's happy or sad or whatever emotion they are means a lot. And a lot of times words don't do it justice, you know, especially with mourning. Especially with mourning. You know that Jewish people, when somebody would die, they would have weeks of this process, this this processional of mourning. People that were professionally hired to come and just cry at the top of their lungs and carry on in the music to play the, the dirge and, and they would mourn for weeks. Wow. It wasn't, oh, put them in the ground and we're done and we're moving on now and life is normal. This was a process. Blessed are those who mourn. Yeah, like, because in this culture, we don't really do that. We just, you know, they'll have, like, the viewing before the funeral, and that's right. where that takes place a and, lot of times. And and the most common thing that I see as I'm sitting with people is as they start to cry and lean into their emotions, the first thing they do is 
apologize. I'm sorry. Why are you sorry? Mourn. Cry. Let it let it come out. Yeah. I don't say to them, oh, well, uh, blessed are those who mourn for those who be comforted. Uh, what time do you want the ceremony? <laughs> right. That's, you know, that's you mechanical. That You don't, can't do that. Right. And so just spouting these off without any relational value, it doesn't help. You're right. Okay. <laughs> How about let's go into God blesses those who are humble or meek for they meek. will inherit the earth, the mm. whole earth. They will inherit the whole earth. I think humble makes more sense in today's lingo than maybe meek. How about, and, and remember, we're looking at this at the view of the kingdom and the heart that God wants us to have. How about submissive? See, I like that too. Submissive to God. Blessed are those who are submissive to God or submitted to God, for they will inherit the earth. Because as I submit to God, I fulfill his plan. And his plan isn't something that's going to be stopped. And it doesn't mean I'm a doormat, but it means that I'm living this lifestyle that he's, he's asked me to live, to love, to forgive, to speak hope and life, to walk away from the world's point of view and, and not... Uh, just be sucked into every thought and idea and passion that the world comes up with in the moments. I mean, look at our, look at our culture today. How lost are we? Because we've submitted to the world. We've submitted to all of the ideas that Satan is throwing out at us. They're distractions. They're distract. Well, and they're, they're becoming gods taking the place of submissive hearts to God. We don't even know what love is anymore. No, we don't. Or Not marriage, right? Or gender. That's that's or family. Confusing, also. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, we don't we don't recognize any of these things as a culture as a whole. If you if you listen to media and you see these fanatics that are out there, we don't recognize any of the truth that God laid out. He created us to create families, male and female, to raise children, to teach them the ways of God, to remind them of his goodness and his authority and his generosity and his grace. And we don't, we don't recognize that as a submitted society to the devil because there's only two sides. There's God and there's Satan. You can't straddle the fence. And you can't straddle the fence. And so... I'm not a doormat by being submissive to God. And in the end, we know how we walked through Revelation as, as one of our previous seasons. We know how it ends. Well, you know, and I think I could see maybe it could be called recognition. I recognize that God has a plan, mm. that we're in his plan. I can either be a part of the plan or I can be not part of the plan. Those who are not and, for me or against me, Jesus right. says. And I... You know, it's not necessarily, you might ask the guy in the street, well, no, I'm not against God. Well, are you for him? It's like, well, I don't pay him much attention. He's not part of the plan. Right. Not making a choice is making a choice. That's right. And it sounds cliche, but it is. If I don't want to choose God, I'm actually not choosing God. 
I just want to live my life and not be hassled and not have to worry about this stuff. Right. So, I definitely don't want to submit to him because then I have to change my lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, that's going to require me to do something other than what I'm doing. Right. And if I don't want to submit to God, I really enjoy this truth that continues to change so that I can live how I want to, or at least get you to come around to understanding that you can't, you can't tell me what to do. Yeah. And out of all of those in the Beatitudes, that might be the toughest, I think, yes. in a lot of cases, yeah, the, I submis- have. the submission <laughs> for, for just about anybody. And it's like to be fully submitted and committed to God's plan, I think might be the hardest out of all of these, you know, going through them. Yeah, you're right. It might be because that's the struggle is submitting your will to God's will, submitting your your desires at times to God's plan. Because I can tell you my desires didn't line up with what his plan was for me in the early parts of my life. Mine either, yeah. And it wrecked me. He let me do it. He let me walk away. He let me go and, and be the prodigal and eat the slop with the pigs. Um, but it wasn't until I finally started to submit to his plan that I found life, that I was blessed. And blessed doesn't just mean giving of gifts. Oh, what did I get out of it? Mm. I'm blessed. I am I am finding joy. I am able to live in the chaos and not fall apart. And on that note, another word that the old uh that is for beatitudes is macarism and it means happiness as a result of praise. Hmm. So blessed Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The whole earth. The whole earth. All of it. Even Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) What about God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied? You know, that's, that's, I've never heard the justice part. Okay, and it's also, mine says, or for righteousness, yes. But justice. I mean, God says uh, in in the Old Testament, love justice. Well, and you know, you <clears throat> turn on the news and it seems like there's so many unjust things that are happening in the world. Right. It's just like, when do these people get their due? And do we have to wait until judgment day, the great white throne judgment to see righteousness be done? Well, Can't there be justice done now? Once again, we go back to this, uh, you know, it's like, this is a some sort of reward that you get after we're all gone. And I like a lot of people want, you know, justice now. And it seems like there's so much injustice and these people doing, uh, doing so many things that are wrong and getting away with it. And then they're never punished. And that's disheartening. Well, so how does God's plan on earth work? Yeah, and I don't know. It works through his followers, those who believe in him and who are are submitting to him. And for us to hunger and thirst for so justice um, means that when you're hungry and you're thirsty, what do you have to do? Well, get something to eat. You have get to something go to drink. Yeah. get something 
to eat and drink. You actually have to be active in that. And so if I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for justice, first righteousness, I'm hungering and thirsting for more of the spirit of God to transform me, to make me into who he's made me to be, just as we spoke on our last episode about identity. Um, But for justice, how much has the church as a whole let slide by because we're not standing up for the things of God in the places that create law, in the places that can be used in a powerful way to enforce justice. So you're saying it's on us that this isn't happening. I'm pretty sure we're supposed to take care of the earth and all things on it and in it. And and we see the corrupt people have been trying. But this didn't happen overnight. The state of our country, the state of our world didn't happen overnight. This has been decades and centuries of people lining this up, of Satan lining his plan through people who want to come in and destroy lives. But doesn't God say, I have submit to the authority of your government because I have allowed them to be in power and you should submit Yeah, I'm not to saying start a civil war. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> saying where, where are those who are passionate for the kingdom above the kingdom of America to but go if, for office? But if those, those people that are high, the highest in authority are the ones that are so corrupt, how we, aren't we supposed to stand up to them or not? It's not... Because what you're a, saying is like it's on us to to get get the righteousness that we seek, but then on the other hand, we also have to submit to the authorities over us. Right. Read through the New Testament. The Romans weren't butterflies and unicorns. No, they weren't. And I'm pretty sure I never saw them go start a civil war. In fact, Jesus called the zealots out of what they were doing to follow him and do a different way. He didn't come to start a revolution against the civilizations. He came to start a revolution in our hearts. We can stand up for justice. We can seek the, the truth. We can have people. That's what I'm saying. Where are the people in the offices, in the places of authority, going to stand up for the kingdom and not the self-persevering ways of our culture? Interesting. Interesting. Well, I, I'm not sure that I understand that completely because if you're, I'm not sure I understand it completely either. If, if you hunger for, th- for thirst and justice and, and you're, and then it's on you to go and seek it. And if you're going against the very principalities that are in control, well, how are you going against the principalities that are in control? If you're running for an office? If you're standing up and voting against corruption, if you're actually going out and doing your part instead of sitting back and complaining about it and saying, God, where are you? Smite my enemies. (laughs) And would you please give me all the money I need to have my pool and my Ferrari and my 6,000 square foot house? Amen. No, you go out. Right. You vote against those. You you do things in a lawful manner, but you stand up for justice. You know, I think people are looking for lightning bolts and to smite their enemies. And, and I don't I'm pretty sure that the only time we'll see that happen is the end. 
Maybe we should go back to the Revelation series. <laughs> Just they can rewind <laughs> the, the, the trumpets and the bowls and yeah, the, those things and the yeah, it'll happen. Seals and there yeah. will be ultimate justice at one point. Okay. And we know that it gets worse before it gets better because um, that's just how it goes. But that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against America. Our battle is not against those who are corrupt in power. We stand up for the for the truth that the kingdom brings to us, that Jesus brings to us. We stand up for that in this darkness the right way. I don't, I don't know if I can find anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus says, at this point, go ahead and start a war. No, I don't see that either. At this point, it's okay if you overthrow the government. I don't see him saying that anywhere. He doesn't say that. So if we seek justice, we do it his way. And it's one heart at a time. And it's standing up, not being a doormat. It's being love. Uh, what is Deuteronomy? Seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Correct. Correct. Okay, good. <laughs> is well, that uncomfortable? <clears throat> I think we've covered a lot today, Mike. What do you think? We're just barely getting started. Well, I know. But... We don't want to have an hour segment on this either. We yeah. better save some for next time. We might be able to. Yeah, this is this is one of those that develops as we go. But this this I hope you turn in tune into um, this whole series, this whole section that we're going to do is going through the Sermon on the Mount because it is applicable today. It is earth shattering. It's upside down from the way the world is telling us to do it, and perhaps even some teachings that you've heard in the church. Um, but it's Jesus that's saying this. These are all red letters. This is his sermon. This is something that is still as profound today as it was the day he spoke it to the crowds on the side of the mountain. So if you want to follow along, you can read up and go through Matthew five through seven. You can read this once a week. And maybe you'll have some insight that uh, you'd like to share with us. You can still get a hold of us uh, by email, by Twitter, which is actually X now. And we'll try and follow along with you as well. We love to be on this journey together. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you have been challenged to study God's word, to find out what it says, and to build on what you believe. Our heart is to help create a desire in you to draw closer to Jesus. If you would like to contact us with questions or comments, email us at MikeMattRealThings at gmail.com. On Facebook, Real Things That Really Matter. And on Twitter, at MMRealThings. We would love to hear from you. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform to stay in the know of what we are doing. Again, thanks for joining us today. May God bless you and keep you. See you next time.